All right, good morning. Um, I'm going to read our scripture for today before our speaker comes up. It comes from the book of Luke, uh, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. It should be on the screens to your side. Uh, Here's how it reads. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. They came and filled both boats so so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Uh, Renaissance, we have a a special privilege and treat today. We have, coming from the great, great far land from Brooklyn, my brother Rasul Berry. Give it up for him as he comes out. He got his passport stamped to come out here this morning. Uh, Rasul has been married for 17 years to his wife, Tamika. I think we have a picture also of their beautiful family, his daughter, Ariana, and uh, he's a, yes, very cute family, very beautiful family, his wife and daughter more than him, but the, uh, one of the best things about churches in New York City, um, I say this all the time, is the amount of camaraderie that exists between churches, and more than any other city I've been in, there's very little competition, it's all a deep camaraderie, and the Bridge Church in Brooklyn is one of those churches that we are very deeply connected with. To all our Brooklyn people, if y'all get tired of making a trek out to Harlem, please, please, please check out the Bridge. They're an amazing church, and this is our amazing brother. I'm going to pray for him before he brings the word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Rasul and for just his time. We ask that you would use him. God, open our ears to hear what you want to tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Jordan. Uh, I consider it a privilege uh, to be here. Uh, We have been fans of Renaissance Church for several years. We actually sent the team up uh, from our child care ministry, our children's ministry, uh, called Bridge Kids, up, and Tanya uh, just kind of hooked us up, gave us vision, because we heard that you guys are doing it so well, and our ministry has never been the same as a result of that. And so that camaraderie uh, that Jordan was talking about, you know, we definitely lived that out. Um, and so I'm glad to be here in, uh, in, in Harlem. The other reason why I'm glad to be here is because this message uh, about authentic faith is something that is really near and dear to my heart. We live in an era where authenticity matters probably more than anything else. People are tired with the fake and they want the real. And so the interesting thing is when we look in the life of Peter, we see it's marked by this sense of authenticity, and specifically authentic faith. See, 
Peter, we get to see the full picture of him from his beginning to his end. In fact, there is no one else mentioned more than Peter other than Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament. And so we get a, a very clear picture from start to finish of what this dude's life was all about. And I want us to take some time to look at what it is that set him apart when this aspect of faith. And so uh, we've already read Luke chapter 5, but just to kind of set the context a little bit, um, the, the, the gospel writer Luke, he explains in the first chapter that he's writing a very orderly account of all the things that happened involving the life of Jesus. He's writing to this dude named Theophilus. And, and, and Luke is unique and different, and I like him because he, you know, he's an historian. I, I studied uh, Africana studies in college and, and was all up in history and the social sciences, so I kind of value his very methodical way of breaking things down. And so unlike any of the other writers, he actually starts with the calling of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth to have the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist. And he gives it a very extended account of that situation in chapter one. Then he starts in chapter two with the Christmas story, right? The, the whole scene with the magi and the manger and all that. But the thing that's important to know about that, that wasn't just so we could have cool plays for kids to do. There was, there was something very intentional about why God chose to actually have this whole situation um, arise, because the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Well, how would people know where, if Jesus was really born in Bethlehem? He had arranged sovereignly world events so that the first census in the Roman Empire would take place right at the time that Jesus was born. So his folks had to go to Bethlehem. And, and so Luke layers that account. Then we fast forward in chapter 3, where all of a sudden it's about 20-some years later, and now they're all grown up. And once again, we go back to John the Baptist. Now he is preaching and proclaiming that, prepare you the way. Prepare you the way. The one we've been waiting for is coming, and he's, and he, and he's here. John identifies Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's like, what is happening? What's going on? And then we get to chapter 4. Chapter 4, now what happens is Jesus uh, is tempted in the wilderness. He comes out of that uh, completely victorious, thus showing that the second Adam is actually more victorious than the first. And then he goes right from there, opens up a scroll in the temple, and, set, and reads in a synagogue, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to the captive. He is articulating a kingdom vision of his salvation that doesn't just involve the soul, but also the very structures of inequality that he sees around him. And everyone is stunned. And he rolls back the scroll, hands it over and says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He then begins his ministry of healing, not only spiritual sickness, but physical sickness, thus showing his holistic approach to this thing called salvation. There's all this momentum and enthusiasm building because God had been silent for 400 years. And now, all of a sudden, they have a word. And so the people are flocking and gathering. And so in that context, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. This is why they're pressing in. They've been longing and waiting and hoping to find this, this message of truth, this message of hope. And it says he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So this kind of might be a little confusing. Okay, why is he next to a lake? 
why he decides to get into a boat. It's kind of, and the interesting thing was last year I got the opportunity to travel through Israel for the first time. It was incredible. And I thought that the most exciting thing I was going to experience would be in Jerusalem and seeing like, you know, the, the empty tomb and all that. And that was cool. But, but really it was when I got to Galilee that things really got exciting. At one point, we were right there on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the one who was operating the boat, he said, put out our arms like this. And he said, realize that this percentage of Jesus' ministry all happens right here where you're standing right now. And all of a sudden, you start to see how the closeness and proximity of everything is, and everything comes to life. So Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee is where this moment takes place, and so one of the things that the tour guide told us is that the reason why Jesus went into a boat is because of the natural acoustics of the environment. See, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake Gennesaret is surrounded by mountains. And so when you get into a boat, the natural sound slaps off of the lake and echoes into the mountains. So it could therefore create a natural amplification effect so many people could hear. And this is about the biggest space that you could have. And so this gives you a sense of just the thousands of people that were there gathered around. So he kind of nods to Peter, says, okay. Peter puts down the nets. They did their fishing at night. And so he gets into the boat. And it says, he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Then something interesting happens. Unexpected for sure for my man, Simon Peter. It says, and when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, just to help us understand here, this wasn't fishing as we go out to, you know, a beach somewhere and go, you know, and just kind of, hey, how you doing? You see the game the other day? Yeah, you know, people, people experience fishing as a leisurely activity in our context. No, 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 no. This was called trammel fishing. And you had to do it in a group because they would go and take these nets that were weighted down with weights and they would collectively throw the net over the side of the boat. The weights would drop down and then after a while they would pull together the net and it would collect everything that was found underneath that seawater. Now, some of it would be rocks, some of it would be tree branches, some of it would be tires, you know anything you would find in, this, in the sea. And then they would have to, and all that stuff would get untangled, would get tangled up. And so then they would have to go and, you know, separate the fish and, and separate the net so they could go and do the whole thing over again. And like we said, they did this at night. And so now Jesus is venturing into new territory. You see, before he was talking spiritual things and giving a message, and, and, and Peter's cool with that. But now all of a sudden he gets into his boat and now he's starting to mess with his livelihood. He's starting to tell him how to do his job. And this is what Simon says. He says, Master, Simon replied, we've worked all night long and caught nothing. You ever been there before where Jesus tells you to do something completely, seemingly foolish, and you're tired and you don't want to deal with it? And on top of that, you might come in and you go, you know what? I'm good to get my little Sunday morning inspiration, get me set for the week, you know what I mean, get me on the right path. But when Monday comes around, that's when I become the boss again. 
right? Like when it comes to dealing with the relationships, when I go out to brunch or lunch or whatever we do after church, you know, I mean, that's when, you know, I am pretty good at that kind of thing. People like me. Do you know how many followers I have on Twitter? You know what I mean? How many likes I just got on my last post? When it comes to social interaction, that's my thing. And Jesus kind of interrupts all of that and says, uh, actually, I'm going to get into your space and tell you how to do your thing better. I'm going to give you some information that you don't think. But we have a resistance to that oftentimes because it's like, look, don't try to tell me how to do relationships, Jesus. And the funny thing is, Peter already said, I didn't catch anything, but he's still resistant to doing what Jesus said. And how similar to that is us? We, you know, we, we've struck out in life in different ways. Things were not where we want to be, near where we think we should be. But then at the same time, when Jesus tells us to do something different, we're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> and so he tells them to do that. Now, here's the reality. We tend to let Jesus teach about how to get to heaven, but not how to live on earth. Yeah, this is what we do. This, this, this is why this series that you're going to hear about faith and work is so important because in a place like New York City where people do whatever they need to do to get ahead, you know what I mean? Just tell a little white lies, smile on people's face, to stab on them back, all those things. Like all of a sudden, God is saying, actually, I have a different method to do this. Relationships? Yeah, I know what, what they do. I know, I know what Sex in the City said. I know what other people said. But, but I actually have a, a, a path for you to walk that actually will lead you to where you want to go. And Jesus has the right and authority to speak into that. But, but oftentimes, like Peter, we have that sacred, secular dichotomy and that divide. But I got to give it up. Because even in the midst of that, he says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. But I love the fact that how he prefaces it, right? He's telling everybody, hey, y'all, this is not my idea. When, when this net comes up empty, like I know it will because we just did this at night and nobody, everybody knows you don't do fishing like this in the daytime. If you say so, Jesus, I got you. Not my idea, guys. But then what happens next? It says, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. This is hilarious, right? So it says that the nets begin to fill, right? So much that now Peter cannot by himself pick the net back up. So he's like, yo, James, John, help. Like, I need some help over here. So then they come over and they start to help. And now they get the fish in the boat. But now they got another problem. The fish is so heavy that they're weighing down the boat. So now they got to get another boat to come. And so they can distribute the weight between two boats. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He, he will come and create new problems for you. The problem before was they didn't have anything. Now they got too much. <laughs> like, like now all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, everything happens. Jesus enters your boat and changes everything. Lack becomes abundance. Insecurity becomes confidence. Directionlessness becomes purpose. Because Jesus got into the boat. Has Jesus entered your boat? Have, have you let him come in and start changing some things around and start shifting things and start telling you how to operate under a new OS? Got the IT folks in there on that one. 
They're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you now. You know, it's funny, um, and it's always unexpected. We had a guy at our church, um, his name is Brett, and, and Brett came, his, his girlfriend uh, played, you know, on a worship team, and Brett was an atheist, had never uh, grew up in church at all, and just kind of like decided to hang out with her and kind of followed her at our church one day. And uh, so he starts to, you know, get involved, and see, he, he's drawn to... Uh, audio and visual, that's like his, his, uh, his profession is audio engineering. And we actually happen to need some support in our audio engineering ministry, our sound ministry, and so he began to help out. And so one day, you know, he's helping out, and we had just done this series examining the, the accuracy of Scripture and who Jesus is, is, he is, who we claim them to be, and all that. So I started having a conversation with Brad. He's like, yeah, you know, I never really grew up into all this. I'm not really into that. And I said, well, hey, would you be interested? There's another guy that was just as skeptical as you. In fact, when his wife became a Christian, he decided to explore and re research to therefore show her conclusive evidence that her faith was inaccurate. But then he was convinced the other way. Would you be interested in reading a book about this guy's story? He's like, yeah, sure, I'd be interested in that. So we started reading this book called The Case for Christ. And then we, we finished reading the book. I remember it was Easter Sunday, and I, and I sat down next to Brett, and I said, so, you know, where are you at? And he's like, yeah, I want Jesus to get into my boat. And, I, and I'll never forget when we baptized him, there was this incredible image that we had that this guy who had no intentions at all of going down this direction allowed his path to be completely changed and transformed because he heard Jesus and decided to follow him. That's what happens when Jesus gets into your boat. Now, uh, Jordan told me that just in a few weeks here, September 30th coming up, there's an opportunity for people to be baptized. And let me tell you, I definitely, if you're thinking about that, if you've not been baptized before, I would encourage you to make that decision. It's, a, it's an incredible celebration and an opportunity to demonstrate this outwardly, this inward change that you've had. So all you have to do is to uh, fill out um, in your connection card, uh, just fill that out, and there's a check right there, the first check, get info about baptism. Now, it's funny because we do the same thing at, at, at Bridge, and, and one of the things, I just had this interaction with a, a friend of mine who is thinking about it. He's like, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for all that, and I'm like, look, all I'm saying is let's just get more information, right? Like, just let's just talk about what it is. So if you might be hesitant, big step, just, just check that box so you can get more info and see what it's like. But, but going back to the story, right? So, so how does Peter respond when he sees this, this, this incredible catch? Look at what he says. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken and so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Oh, we can't go past this too quickly to see that all of a sudden a realization has occurred. First of all, look at what he refers to as Jesus right now. He calls him Lord. He says, go away from me because why? I am a sinful man, Lord. He, he all of a sudden recognizes him in a different way. You know, previously we saw when he said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. 
Now, that, that, that word translated master, epistastes, it has to do with a, a ruler in Greek. That was a, it meant like somebody that had some sense of clout, some sense of responsibility, some sense of, of leadership. It's often used, like in the Old Testament, it was used of Abraham because of how wealthy he was, and he was, a, he was, he was an epistastes in that sense. So, so Peter was giving him some sense of credibility and respect, but then all of a sudden now, after he, what he saw, he decides, you know what, you're not just epistastes, you're Kyrios, you're Lord. Lord had to do with this divine sense of the fact that I recognize now and I understand that, see, that wasn't just a coincidence that you just happened to pick a spot where the fish happened to be biting that day. No, no, he recognized that what happened was Jesus said, let down the boat, let down the nets, and the fish just like went into the net. Like they jumped into the net to get caught. That's the difference. And he reckoned, and this was not just some cool little magic trick. It was a demonstration of the fact that God was, in fact, present in the midst of them. It was a demonstration of the fact that Jesus had control and command over the entirety of life, not just the soul, but also the very laws of nature bent to his will. So he recognized this and he says, go before me. I'm a sinful man because he knew what he was thinking. He knew his thoughts. He knew what he said. He knew his hesitance and his reluctance to do what Jesus said. He was broken. He was broken. So are you aware of your brokenness? Part of having authentic faith is simply being aware of our brokenness. Now, we can only be aware of it when we stand in the presence of and, and notice the presence of greatness of who God is. When we don't see him as just, you know, he that cool dude, you know, he told some good stories. He did some cool things, but no, 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 no. He's, he's Lord. I remember when I became aware of my brokenness. You see, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, my name, Rasul, is Arabic. My parents had been involved in the Nation of Islam when I was born. That's where my name comes from. I didn't grow up in church at all, and by the time I was a freshman in college, I just kind of thought, you know, I'm a good dude, <laughs> that, that crutch of religion that some people need, you know, that's cool for them, but I'm all right. And then Jesus got into my boat. This is how it happened. So now I learned a valuable lesson, right, because I, I uh, was talking to this, you know, young lady, and um, it almost always involves relationships, right? That's just kind of how it works. But, um, and she was telling me about how she had been in these bad relationships and how, you know, guys had taken advantage and, you know, just kind of used and abused her. And I was just like, man, that's terrible. Like, I would never do that. And that's just foul. And I wasn't even, I was just speaking honestly. I wasn't even trying to kick game like that. But then I learned a valuable lesson. That if you're not a player, you don't have game to kick. So, so you don't get credit for not being a player if you can't. <laughs> like, like, it just doesn't work like that. Like, like, it's like, okay. So, but the reality is, like they say, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So I ended up being in a situation where, you know, she fell for me and this other young lady did as well. And I was like, well, they, one is at school with me, the other one isn't. Maybe I should, you know, have my cake and eat it too. And, and I got caught, and I'd never forget what she said to me. She said, you know, 
You're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse than them because you think you're better than them. And it was someone taking a rock, throwing it through this glass of my false sense of self-image, and it breaking before me. And all of a sudden, I was exposed by the fact that I wasn't all of who I thought I was. And all the way up until the point I had justified and reasoned with what I was doing, and I became broken and aware. And so I decided at this point, I didn't know what to do, so I just decided to be honest and tell the other young lady as well. And i never forget what she said. She said, um, you know, so I'm like, yeah, this is what happened. I was seeing somebody else, and da-da. She said, I forgive you. And I was like, what? I said, why would you do that? She said, well, Jesus forgave me for everything that I have ever done, so I can't hold this against you. Now, our relationship changed after that, but it was like, I was like, tell me more about this, this Jesus. Like, what's, what's going on there? Because all of a sudden, I realized the thing, the very thing that was, that I thought I could do on my own, which was just be spotless and blameless, that I actually needed him for. Like, I didn't have the resources within myself to do it. And I became aware of my brokenness. And all of a sudden, my questions about faith changed. It wasn't coming from this sense of intellectual arrogance like before. It was coming from a sense of like, yo, this, I need something that doesn't just come from within myself. And so... The thing that was a key component, and this is a word that we don't really use a lot, and when it is used, it's misused oftentimes in our culture. I think it's the most misrepresented word in the English language, holy. Usually we say holy blank if we say it at all, or holier than thou. It's almost always a negative connotation. But in the scriptures, holiness describes God's very character of being completely blameless, and set apart from everything else. And, and when Isaiah in chapter 6, when he's, he says he sees this vision of the Lord and he sees the cherubim and the seraphim, they were shouting back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah's reaction, his response is to see himself and go, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips. And he recognizes his brokenness. And that's the same thing that Peter recognizes in this moment. Now, even though we don't have the same sense of like awareness of this word, we still have the same awareness of the sense of reverence that's involved there. You know, the other a uh, couple weeks ago, recently, I was watching the Ellen show and, and Tiffany Haddish was on. And Tiffany Haddish was talking about um, Oprah and how she was just like an extra uh, when, when, when Tiffany Haddish was just in the beginning of her career and she was an extra and, and, and she happened to meet Oprah and Oprah was like, wow, you're very funny and, you know, keep in touch with me and like, I love to follow your career. And she was like, yeah. So she started to write Oprah letters and, 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 and Ellen asked her, did you hear back? She said, no, I don't know. She's just Oprah. She's so important and busy. And so she said, well, maybe we should ask her why she didn't respond until Oprah comes out and Tiffany Haddish loses her mind. She's like, oh my gosh, it's Oprah. And, and she's just the reverence and the sense of awe that she has because of this person is this weightiness. So we get that. We just tend to oftentimes deflect it to people. But there's a sense in which being in the presence of God himself, the God man manifests, all of a sudden Peter realized this and said, get away from me. And, and, but look at what Jesus, how Jesus responds. Don't miss this. He says, don't be afraid. Don't 
be afraid. It's the most fascinating thing that the only one that we should fear tells us not to be afraid. Because he's the one that actually is holy and set apart and actually does going to be the one that determines where our soul lies and goes and who we are and who we're in connection with. And he says, don't be afraid. In fact, do not be afraid from God to his people is the most repeated command in all of Scripture. Do not be afraid. Jesus invites us to authentic intimacy in our brokenness. And now, how is he able to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because ultimately, what Jesus would demonstrate is he would himself be broken on our behalf on the cross. See, this is the significance of not just his life and his teachings, but his death and his crucifixion, that God ordained that the, the, the very, the most brutal form of execution that this world would ever see. Jesus chose to take upon himself that form of punishment to be publicly ridiculed, mocked, and exposed, and broken so that we might be whole. And on the strength of that, on, on, on the hope of that, now we can get to a place where he can say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. No, no, come closer to me. I, I want to draw you closer to me. And now look at what he says. Not only, that would be enough. If that was enough, don't be afraid. We good, even though you didn't respect me for who you thought, I, who, who I really was. That would be enough, right? That would be like, yo, that's a dope story. Yeah, you know, Peter could come home and be like, yo, I met the Lord today. It was crazy. Jesus fish in the boat. That would be a great story. But that's not all. It's like one of those things that go, but wait, there's more. Look what he says next. From now on, you will be catching people. Oh, man. He says, look, I am actually going to take and elevate your profession to a degree that you've never even anticipated and seen before in your life, Peter. You don't know the half about what I'm about to do in your life. And so here's the key. Authentic faith in Jesus will elevate, not eliminate your calling and purpose. Somebody needs to hear that today because someone here is, you know, it's like, okay, I I have this idea. I want to take this step toward Jesus, but I don't know. I don't want him to end up having me up there being a pastor, you know, because that's like the worst thing in the world that you could be, right? (laughs) Believe me, I had the same thoughts. Um, but, But the reality is that he's not coming to destroy or taint or remove you from how he made you to be. He comes to elevate it, not eliminate it. And so he said, look, I'm going to take the same idea that you're understanding, catching people, catching fish, and I'm going to actually elevate that to making you be one of the most dynamic people for me and proclaimers of who I am that you've ever seen. And it says, then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Man, I wish I had more time to completely break this down. First of all, there's a couple things that Drake take our attention to. First, it says, then they brought the boats to land. See, even though Jesus was talking directly to Simon Peter, the, the other guys were listening, right? Simon Peter was the leader of them. That's why when he told James and John to come to the boat, they immediately did. And, and when they saw their leader decide to make a call, it says, then the rest of them decided to follow. There are people that are following you that you don't even realize, that the very people who you're afraid will, you'll lose as a result of you taking your relationship with God deeper are the very ones that will follow you to deeper heights. 
And it says, then they brought the boats to land, left everything and follow him. Now, we just got finished witnessing the most We know that their boats were not even made to catch the number of fish that they held, right? So this is the biggest catch that they've ever seen in their entire lives, worth weeks worth of income. And Jesus said, leave it right there. Come on. I know they're like, yo, can we just like set up like a table on 125th and just like, you know, kind of sell some of these before we go some fish sandwiches? We could flip those, yo, make some money. (laughs) Jesus said, no, no, leave it. Leave it for the people. We're going to bless these people that saw this. They're going to be able to eat that fish and be like, yo, we just saw a miracle, and now we're eating this. And don't worry, I got you. <laughs> don't worry about your provision. I got you. And it says, they left everything and followed him. But they didn't just leave the fish. They didn't just leave the boats. You see, this was part of their fathers. Their fa- this was a family business. They had to leave family behind. They had to leave everything that they knew behind. So what is God asking you to leave behind? might be a career? Is it a relationship? Or is it even the expectations of other people who you've allowed them to be curious, Lord, over you? Jesus will have no competition. Well, the cool thing about Peter, like I said, is that we we end up knowing where the story goes just several years later, right? Because this is year one in in his ministry and interaction with Jesus, he, he gets in his advanced accelerated degree in Jesus' life and ministry. And then after Jesus ascends into heaven, after his resurrection, it says that he, uh, he tells Peter, okay, you got the keys, bro. It's your turn. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2, he, Peter gives this amazing sermon and it says, now when they, the people who are around, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be aware of your brokenness and also be aware of the fact that Jesus will come close to you in your brokenness and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So look what the result. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh, that was a big catch that day. They were, the fish were biting that day. And all of a sudden, this realization of what Jesus saw in him three years before, that you will be a fisher of men, would actually be lived out and realized. And the first half of the book of Acts tells the rest of the story of what God would do through Peter's life. Well, here's my encouragement. Because many of us, when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the holiness of who God is. We can, our natural reaction is to run away and hide. But be more in awe of God than your own brokenness. Yeah, our brokenness is real. And just like me, when we become aware of it, it can be humbling and frustrating and, and, and amazing. But the reality is, God, just be more amazed at who God is. Be more amazed at his compassion. Be more amazed at his forgiveness. Be more amazed at his kindness. Because authentic faith is all-centered faith. See, it's not just the removal of a fear. It's not just the removal of a sense of, like, trepidation before a holy God. It's being more impressed with who that God is and the fact that his forgiveness. Romans, in Romans, Paul says that where sin abounded, grace even more abounded. God has more grace than we do brokenness. He has more ability to heal us and bring us back together, and he does it for purpose. 
But we have to be real with ourselves. We have to let Jesus get in our boat. We have to be aware of our brokenness. And then finally, we have to get to a place where we're like, wherever you go, I will leave everything behind and follow you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for the fact that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Lord, would you help us be introspective today about if we need to make that initial decision for you to get into our boat, or if we just have to be more aware of our brokenness today? Or Lord, is there just some things that you're calling us to leave behind? Some relationships, some, some resources, some dreams and hopes that we had before that you want to elevate and not eliminate. Would you help us to see that? And help us to follow you by your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.